that normally do uh, incantations before we get into our cult meetings. This is a cult meeting, amen? amen. If you are a member of a cult, give me an amen. amen. I don't mean if you are a Bukaniya or a Mafaito. I mean if you are in the cult of Christ, give me an amen. amen. That's the real cult. All the other ones are attempts at the real thing. These are the counterfeits. I am in the real cult. Every cult meeting must be preceded by incantations. We've taken one earlier. Now, the next phase of the meeting we have for today, we have to get ourselves ready for it. And how we are doing that is by um, taking another set of incantations. So let's declare the, words, the word of God as we begin to study. One, two, go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I am being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I am walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work, and I am increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 That will be your portion today in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's take our seats and let's quickly get into our studies. Like I say all the time, declare these things again at home. When you wake up in the morning, as you are going out, before you step out of your home or your business of the day, also declare it. The pursuit and the use of faith is what um, we have been studying the book of Hebrews chapter 6, that's where I want us to start from. Let's take our text from there as we commence our teaching today on the pursuit and the use of faith. We read Hebrews chapter 11 before, so let's just read Hebrews chapter 6 this time. Let's just start from verse um, 6, uh, verse 9. The writer of Hebrews was saying a lot of things, but I just want to bring out something here from verse 9. Where I'm going is verse 12. I just said, let me back up a few verses so as to take it in context. It said, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. This time around, he was saying this because before now he has said some things about leaving the elementary teachings of Christ and going on to maturity. And I explained that there are certain groups of people that waste the grace that God has poured upon them. And some people like that are not able to come to repentance again. He now said concerning them, verse 9. Let's now continue reading. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. That is the things he said earlier. He said, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. How did you show it? In having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. He said, I would desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, why am I reading this? It is simply because I want to emphasize to us again that when God gives a promise, the promise has to be activated by faith. The promise does not just come to pass automatically, but it is activated by faith. And that's why he said we must be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit promises. I want to just bring that on again, all right, out as we start today. We have been looking at the pursuit and the use of faith. And last time we read from the book of Hebrews extensively, chapter 11, I mean. And we saw that there are three things basically that we use faith for. And number one is by faith, we, obey, we discover destiny. That's the first thing. By faith, we discover destiny. We discover the call, the purpose, the reason why God gave us life. Moses, it was because of faith that his parents took the extra risk to preserve his life. Even though they knew that if Pharaoh found out, there would be trouble. But because they knew that this was a special child, what the Bible calls beautiful. We said beautiful does not mean appearance. Beautiful means purpose. Beautiful refers to a calling, a special calling uh, or reason why somebody is existing. That's what it meant when he said it was a beautiful child. So faith helped them to discover that purpose. And Moses himself, 
by faith, he left where there was comfort and went somewhere else so that he might walk in that destiny. We said those are the, that's number one. Then again, by faith, all right, we obey God. That is, if God, if God gives a word, it is not within you, all right, to be able to obey that word. Let me just explain that one again. One of the major problems we have in life is that people think that God has called upon them to obey his word by themselves. But it is not so. It is not so. What God expects is that his word will gather life. Let me put it like this. The, the word will produce life in you and bring execution to pass by itself. What God just wants from every believer. Let me say this. I'm about to get stuck on it. And if I get stuck there, you'll be blessed. Don't worry. All right. What God says to every believer. Now, listen to this carefully. His word is not meant to be. Now, let me finish saying it before you crucify me. Don't cock your gun yet. What I'm about to say. Are you getting my point? All right. Because when I first say it, you're going to want to run out. When I finish explaining, you'll be blessed. Amen. Amen. God does not give a word or a commandment so we can obey them. I like that confusion. All right, okay? What he did, there are two things he expects from us concerning his word. Number one, pay attention to them. Number two, believe them. Obedience is an automatic consequence of these first two things. Are you getting my point? It is not, I'm giving you a word, obey. He knows you can't obey. He doesn't even want you to try. He said, if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice, uh, unto this word that I'm commanding you today, was speaking through Moses. Literal Hebrew says, if you shall listen, listening. It's English that says diligently hearken. The literal Hebrew says, if you shall listen, listen. And some versions will say, if you shall pay close attention. Attention is what he says you should give the word. It's not, it's not attempt at obedience. Obedience is hard. God does not expect us to obey by our strength. He said, Pay attention. Believe what I'm saying to you. If you believe what the prophet is saying, you will find obedience coming out of your heart, uh, your life spontaneously, and then you will prosper in it. Please, I hope you are following the point I'm making here. All right? Obedience is what happens to prove to you that you, you believe the word. Obedience does not come because you tried. Obedience, true obedience comes because you believe. And so if you find yourself disobeying, it is not because you did not put in enough effort. It is because you are not convinced. I hope you are getting my point. I said to us here, teaching in the previous times, that um, Eve could not. And Adam, um, the serpent understood that. Eve, Adam, both of them could not disobey the word of God as long as faith was strong in their hearts. And that was why this tempter did not come and say, now, Eat this fruit, otherwise I shoot you. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He did not say to them, eat this fruit, I'm going to give you something, all right, if you just eat it. He couldn't tempt Eve to eat that fruit. It was not possible. The only thing he could do to make Eve eat was to make her doubt. So he started by saying, has God really said? Then once he called the word of God to question, once she began to question what God said, then the ability to disobey came into her life. You hear what I said? The ability to disobey came into her life when she began to question that which God said. God didn't say obey my word in itself. All right? You must look beyond the obvious letters. What he's saying is pay attention. And the literal Hebrew for diligently hearken, which you read in Deuteronomy chapter 28, is not to, 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 to obey. It is like do what I'm telling you. It is to pay attention. If you pay attention, the word obeys itself in your life. I like this scripture. I've not read it in a very long time, even though I quote it once in a while. Ezekiel chapter 1. We are talking about the pursuit and the use of faith. I want to just prove from here again that God is not commanding us to obey his word by our strength, but he wants the word to create obedience in our lives. Now, if you read from chapter 1, you will see that's from verse 1. Of chapter 1, you see Ezekiel describing the, um, the, the vision that he had, all the great things that he saw. But because of time, we won't analyze any one of them, not part of what we want to look at. We want to look at the conclusion of everything. Especially if you go down to that uh, from verse 22, I'm not reading that. You see him describing the glory of God that he saw there. He now said, 
in verse 28. I'm jumping to verse 28 to save time. He said, as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on the rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such, he said, was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. When I saw it, I lost strength. Natural ability failed me, so I collapsed. When I saw it, my own human abilities left me. Are you getting my point here? So much that there was no strength left in me to stand. Then when I fell down on my face, I heard a voice speaking. And what did that voice say? Look at the next verse, which is chapter 2, verse 1. Then he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak to you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. Now notice this. He saw the glory of God. He collapsed. Natural human strength left him when he saw the glory of God. The same God now said to him, all right, get up, let me speak to you. That is, the Lord was demanding of him to stand a man that had no strength in himself. You are getting the point here. And then, of course, that was not possible. That's the point I'm making. It was impossible for a man that has no strength in himself to stand. So what happened when the word came to him and that word said, stand? The word became ability. So that's what you see in that next verse. As he spoke to me, the spirit entered me. Anytime God is speaking to you and you are paying attention to him, what is happening is that the spirit is entering into you. I don't know whether you're getting my point. In this particular thing, in, in this particular situation, what happened to him? That spirit set him on his feet. That is, he obeyed what God said by his own strength? No. But how? By the spirit that entered into him when God spoke to him. That's what I meant when I said God didn't say obey. He said pay attention. If you pay attention, my spirit will enter you and you will find obedience coming out of your life spontaneously. Disobedience is a sign of unbelief. Are you getting my point? Disobedience is a sign of unbelief. Anyone who's disobeying God's word has doubted that word first. Anyone who's disobeying the word of God is not paying enough attention. Many of the things you find out there in the world, the aim is just to create doubt in the hearts of people. If God says something, you will find a book out there that says the opposite. What the book is just doing is to create doubt in your heart. I said something last time. <laughs> I said it a lot of times. That's why I said, when it comes to your health, be careful what you read. Some of the greatest creators of doubt are your best friends. When Jesus was going to go to the cross and Satan said, let's prevent him, he entered into Peter. There's a story I've told you many times. Let me say, tell the story again. I was watching a program, American program. The doctor said, I don't take hope away from my patients. That no matter what, I give them hope. Because so that people will not be sued because of medical legal issues in a country like the United States. Doctors are trained to tell you every bad thing possible. As a consequence of this, they end up telling patients the worst that could happen to them. Unfortunately, what that does is that it takes hope away from patients. It is sad, but that actually takes hope away from patients. That man I was, I, was talk, I was referring to, I've told the story many times before. He said once he told the patient he was going to die, and exactly as he said, the patient got worse and died, and then they did an autopsy on the man and found out there was nothing wrong with him. But he was dead. Why did he die? His doctor told him he was going to die. The man said, I learned my lesson that day. He said, I don't take hope away from my patients. I try my best to encourage them. Now, what, why am I saying this? Remember what I said from? When it comes to your health, be careful where you hear your report, your, your information from. The world is not structured to help your faith. It's not. In fact, the whole of medical science is built on undermining your faith. No, the foundation of it, of it is you must not have faith. Why? Every book... Every book that discusses the, the cause of disease will tell you evolution. 
The human cell has evolved. Thank God I teach in Africa. Nobody's going to tell me what to say. When I'm teaching medical students now, I tell them, anybody who's been in my class, they know. I'll say, if you get to this particular point in the cell, when this, when this kind of injury occurs, there's this defense system that is there to tackle it, which was put in there by the good Lord with his everlasting kindness, his eternal wisdom, his infinite mercies. I put all those three things there. And I tell them, something when I'm teaching, you know, you go down to some points, I say, you need to be a God-hater to say this arose by chance. Yet, as clear as it is, the whole of medical science is built on the simple fact that your whole life is an accident. I published in one of our, um, one of our earlier editions of Secrets and Truths magazine, something I heard from a man who is a Buddhist. And the man showed mathematically that life as we know it is impossible by chance. Using mathematical formulas, you understand? He showed that life as we know it is impossible by chance. And the man doesn't believe in God. He says there has to be a template that floated from somewhere and landed on the earth. That the way life is, is too complicated to have happened by chance. Yet, by any medical textbook, the foundation of it is that diseases are by accident. The whole of life is a mystic. It was just because one molecule misses, we jam the other molecule, bam, and they are tied to themselves. And they jammed another molecule, bam, and they are tied. After a long time, they began to speak English, marry each other, go for Bible study, wear shirt. God needs to blind you entirely to believe that nonsense. You can say to me, I'm angry with God, and I'll be on your side. What I mean is that I will understand. You can say, I don't want to talk to God. He's wicked. Then you are making sense. At least we can start trying to correct you. But for you to tell me, you are sure there is no God. You are arrogant. God doesn't even have many mercy on you because you are too arrogant. The simple principle of life says to us, if I tell you now, in Abakiliki, there is no 75-story building. Assuming that, all right? Now, if I tell you in Enugu, there's no 75-story building. You know what that means? I have lived in Enugu. I have been around. Any 75-story building which jut out into the sky, I will see it. So I tell you with confidence there's no 75-story building. And it makes sense, right? Oh, forget about Kiliki. If I tell you that in Kathmandu, there is no 75-story building. What's Kathmandu? <laughs> it's in Nepal. Abi, is that the country? Yes. I've never been there. So if I tell you there's no 75-story building in Kathmandu, what's the first question you will tell me? Or how do you know? Have you been there? I will say no. Did you watch a documentary on it? No. Was that statement made in Wikipedia? No. How do you know? I just ask you, why should there be 75-story building there? What I'm saying, for you to say there's no God, you need to have gone around the whole universe at least. Are you getting my point? Otherwise, the best you can say is, I don't know. Otherwise, the best you can say is, by Saniba. Are you getting my point? That's the best you can say. I'm not sure. Ah, well, I've never seen him. I like one thing um, uh, David Paulson said, he was quoting somebody. They said, a Russian astronaut went into space once. They now asked him, did you see God or did you see angels? He said, no, he laughed. The apostle said, you should have removed your helmet. You will have seen him. <laughs> are you getting my point? You are in outer space. You say you didn't see God. Just remove your helmet. You will have seen God. You wore your helmet. You say you didn't see God. Remove the helmet. When your head freezes, soon, you will see God. <laughs> How am I staying on this? Oh, God. So you find that people do a lot of foolishness, and then they tell you about your life, tell you this is a problem, this is why you will die. This happens by chance. This happens by chance. There's no cure. And you believe it 100%. I think you should rearrange where you get your information from. There's a lot of information out there. You, those of you have heard me long enough. Despite, the, despite my fundamental training, that's as, that is in the worldly things, despite the fact that I have specialist degrees in them, 
Despite the fact that I pass on the lies to another generation because I'm paid to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean by the lies now. I teach them medicine. Tell them some things. But I always qualify that. Forget all of these things. Forget all of these things. This is a complete, this is half knowledge. Some of those things are not lies in themselves. Just that the knowledge is not complete. That, that's the fact. If the knowledge was complete, if they added the other side to it, they would make more sense. Now, despite all of these things, I, because I was trained again with the word of God. And when you have, when thy word, that is, like David said, because your precepts are my meditations, I end up having more understanding than my teachers. Are you getting my point? That's what David said. When the word of God becomes my meditation, those who are teaching me things, I will understand life more than them. Despite all of that, all of my own learning, I don't believe most of the things they say. And so many of the things I don't believe, they are based on facts. They are not like, I'm a man of faith, I won't accept. Yes, a huge chunk is because I'm a man of faith. And what's a man of faith? A man who takes God's word as true. For example, they said that if you drink me a lot of milk, I read articles like that, you'll get cancer of the prostate. I said, it's not true. How do you know? I said, the Bible says, I'm taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. God cannot take you to a land flowing with milk and prostate cancer. <laughs> it's not possible. Ah. Uh-huh. He said, I know the thoughts I have towards the thoughts of good and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. How can he know that something is deadly give to his children? It's not possible. As I most of the things they say about food, I say it's a lie. And of course, one of them has been proven right. Everybody is now discovering that cholesterol has now been removed from the list of wicked foods that will kill you. For a long time, I said, why do Africans believe this lie? And that I even understood it based on medical knowledge. Because the word of God gave me insight. I saw inside the same medical books and said, this thing is not true. Yet, the lie is being propagated every day by ignorant doctors and pharmaceutical companies that want to make money off the, off the sale of cholesterol-lowering drugs. They've now, as of this year, now it's been yanked out from the list of foods that are dangerous for you. So all this oil, you buy low cholesterol. By the next five years, you won't see anybody write it again. It's no longer an issue. Very, very lazy. Listen, I'm not impressed like I was right. I knew I was right. I never doubted I was right. It's you that's impressed that, ah, Pastor Vangie was correct. I always knew I was right. I had no doubt. Why am I stuck on this? Please let me preach. I have, some, I have a word. You understand my point? I know, I have a message. It's inside my stomach. Trying to get it to come out. But I have to educate people on many things. That's why we keep on doing all this talking. Why did I say all of this? So don't take the final information about your life from a man who says there is no God. From knowledge built upon the lack of knowledge of God. Are you getting my point? They say your life is an accident. So they now say your genes have a final say in your life. It's not true. Me, I refuse to believe it. I refuse to believe it. My father-in-law turned 70 a few days ago. So we called him and we're congratulating him and all of that. He was not talking about the fact that he's old. I said, no, that you're not as old as when Abraham took off to go and start chasing God. He said, Banky, are you sure they counted the age correctly? (laughs) (laughs) I said, daddy, they did. Because, you know, sometimes it's quite, you know, it's incredible, you know, to their mind. How could that have been? And even me, when he asked me, the first thing I wanted to be, you know, I had to prove to him that, you know, he's not my kind of person that would just say, no, the Bible, shesh, and he'll just collect like that. You know, something point. I needed to be reasonable. So I said to him, I said, sir, they also had seasons, farming seasons. They knew the cycles of seasons. So don't, let's not think those people of those days are foolish people. They knew more in many things that we don't know today. They are as wise. They were as wise as we are today. They knew seasons. I mean, what are you talking about? They were astrologers. In fact, I told my father-in-law that day. I said, Daddy, they were astrologers. They were men who studied the stars were living. I said, they knew to count years old. When I say Abraham was 75, when God called him, he was not a lie. I told my father-in-law, I said, so forget that. If you just don't deceive, I didn't use the word deceive for him but don't deceive yourself that you are aging. By biblical standards, you are not even young enough yet. Because the Bible says in the kingdom of God, you need to be a hundred years, all right? That if you die before the age of hundred, you say a young boy died. 
And I told him, I said, listen, daddy, don't forget that thing. You're not old yet. Don't let the fact that everybody is dead around you <laughs> give you the impression that you are old. You want to check whether you are old or not, ask Abraham. So Abraham will tell you, come, 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 my boy, how are you? You are just starting life, oh. God will soon call you. <laughs> yeah, Abraham will tell you that. When they say Sarah delivered at the age of 90, it is not a joke. It's not a joke. Even though this is not as serious as that, the man who came to preach, there's a fellowship of um, elderly people where I'm the chaplain, all right? So we had a program last Sunday. So our guest minister, the former chaplain, came from out of town. And he was talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And he told his testimony of a woman. It was like, I'm in Abuja now. You haven't come to see me, you know, family people. And the husband said, we'll see you, we'll see you. But later on, they now confessed to him that the problem was that they're a bit embarrassed that the woman was pregnant. And how old did he say what she was? 54. And it was natural pregnancy, nothing... That she wasn't looking for a child, she was just pregnant. So the husband was wondering, how do I explain this kind of thing to people? <laughs> so when a relative came to town, the woman couldn't go out to go and see him. Even though 54 is not close to 90, but at least it lets you know that some of these things don't think, don't, 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 don't think they are so fantastic. It's because we are so used to a bad system. Do you know what we celebrate now? Moses lamented about. You've heard preachers say it. That God promised us 70 years. You've heard that before? Yes. You know it's not in your Bible. Yes. I don't care who says it, it's not in the scriptures. God never ever promised 70 years at a point in time. The only time the word 70 was used was Solomon, uh, Moses lamenting that God has been so angry with us our men now die at 70. So the few ones that make it, they make it to be 80. Those men were used to people living to be 160. They were used to it. It wasn't anything strange. You can't see the story, the genealogies of um, Isaac and um, Jacob. Those people did 140, 150, 160. Abraham and Co. It was routine with them. And people say they, didn't count, they counted the years well. If the years were not as accurate as ours, then it would be 360 days, but not like it would be 280. No. It's something like between, it's around two, 360. Because I've read a lot about the calendar. But you know when you say you see for a life well lived, and everybody celebrates Papa is dead at 78, say he tried. Yes, he tried. When everybody is dead at 42, why won't you say he tried? But the truth is that that's not the will of God. The medicine now sits down and begins to explain why we don't live beyond 70 routinely. And they will tell you that the only reason why we live beyond that is because of medical intervention. Again, a fat lie. They deliberately don't tell you anything about the Japanese men who live in rural villages and routinely do 100. No medical interventions. I've seen 90-year-old men. I told you there was a man I read his story. He was retiring from marathon at the age of 90 or so. And he began marathon at 78, thereabouts, when his wife died. And to kill the depression, somebody says, start running. The man used to routinely do what they call half marathon. 21 kilometers competition. You see, this is not a... They, I watched him on TV doing his last race. Doing a half marathon, 21 kilometers, running. And they say he was retiring, he was about 90. But you know, they make it look, when you look at life, to describe life as if the typical old man should be aged and infirm. That by the time he said, he said, ah, you know, because of my back, I don't move properly. And you say, oh, Papa, you should have told him straighten your back. What is wrong with your back? <laughs> But we all have this faith. You know, I don't want to, what's the opposite of it? We have this unbelief, yes, because unbelief is a negative force. We have this unbelief around us that helps the man's back to freeze. One of the things I do for myself, periodically I touch my toes. I make sure I do it. If, I forget, if I've not done it for some time, I remember. 
I will sit down, and I will stand up and start touching my toes. It might take a few stretches, but my finger gets back there. I continued, I've been doing that since I was, that was more than 20 years ago. I'm in my 40s now, I continue doing it. In case you don't know, I intend to do it, I'm in 100 and something. I will touch my toes. That is, I will tell the back, you are not going to get stiff. We have to fight for that inheritance back. I will tell the back, you will not get stiff. I refuse. If I look at paper, my eyes don't want to see properly. It becomes discussion. I said, these eyes, do you know who owns you? I said, in case you don't know, I don't believe that on the writing book. So. I don't believe it. That at a particular age, your eyes are no longer elastic. And I said, that is the book. My life is written in the Bible, not in pathology book. So I'll open the Bible and show it. Read this one after me. It's war. It's fight. One of the things Ken Hagen said, I, I listened to him once. He said that he read somewhere that once you get, start getting older, you start forgetting. And he started getting ready to start forgetting. Until one day he read in the Bible that a man died, went to Abraham's bosom. And Abraham said to him, son, remember. Ah. He said, wait. That means memory does not lie in the brain because the brain is in the grave. So son could still remember, even though he was not in the grave. He said, it means that memory lies in something deeper than the brain. He said, your memory is in your soul. The man said, I will never forget. He died at almost 90. And that time he'll be telling you stories of 60 years ago, giving addresses, time. And he'll say, oh, uh, Pat was there then. When this happened, Ken was a little boy. And he'll be telling the story. I said, good. You're going to say that I go on. Because our message today, we are going on teaching about what? The pursuit and the use of faith. I'm just going to review some things. That's when I got stuck on this. All right? Now, be careful where you get your information from. Don't just collect information from everywhere. Because life is engineered to create unbelief in your system. So that what God doesn't want is what you'll be experiencing. Be careful. The whole of medical knowledge is built upon there is no God. So why can't you just be swallowing? Now, let me, I, I need to correct something. Modern medical knowledge. Modern. The ancient one wasn't like that. Modern medical knowledge. So be careful when you are hearing things. How you, how you interpret information. When it has to do with your health, make sure everything is in agreement with scripture. If it's not in agreement, fight it. What am I saying? Because life is engineered to remove faith from you. And when it removes faith, that's where we began from. The promises of God can't come to pass. So when you read too much information on your health from magazines, too much information on your health from medical journals, too much information on your health from worldly things, it will remove faith from you. Are you getting my point? It will still one belief in your heart and you will not be able to inherit the promises. Promises must be provoked by faith. That's what we are talking about. Now, I'll just want to explain something there. Let me just quickly get back to what I was going to say. On that faith matter. So you see, faith is not just... We don't learn faith just for academic knowledge. I'm a Christian, I should know about faith. No. Faith is the juice of our system. It's like blood. It's like spiritual, you know, blood. If it's not flowing, life is not getting to where it's supposed to get to. If I, if I put my hand on your crucial arteries here and hold them down, after one hour, if I don't release it, your whole arm is dead. That's how faith is. Anywhere it's not flowing to in your life, the promise the, the life that God wants to flow into that area is not getting there. There's a story of a man, I've told again, of course, when you preach for a long time, you keep on telling some stories again and again, but I've not told you so many times, but some people may have heard me tell it before. Let me say it again. This man used to, he had a lot of faith. Now listen to this, listen to this. I said faith is used for three things, right? What's the first one I said? To discover destiny, purpose. Two, to obey the instructions of God. Okay, I didn't say the third one again today, all right? I've said it before. 
The fourth one is to activate promises. Faith is used for only three things. One, discover destiny. Discover what God wants to do. Discover why he gave you, gave you life. Two, faith is used to obey. That's why the word, I mean, when you mix it with faith, it produces obedience. Are you my point? Then third, it activates promises. It's through faith and patience we inherit promises. Now back to the story I wanted to tell. I was trying to use the story to illustrate the fact that anywhere faith is not flowing into your life, what God wants to do in that area is not flowing in there too. This man had faith in an area. What is that area? He understood purpose. He understood how to hear. Now listen to this. He used to know when God was speaking to him, giving him specific instructions to do something. So he would be in his house. And I believe he had this ministry, what the Bible calls, he that give it. Giving is a ministry. All Christians can preach. Amen? amen. If you believe, say amen. amen. Every Christian should be able to share the word of God. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Should be able to explain something to somebody. But let me ask you a question. Is every Christian a preacher by calling? Is everybody a pastor and a teacher? In the same manner, every Christian can give. Do you understand my point? But some people have a job. As I'm preaching, their own job is what? Giving. Giving. Their whole life is about giving. Everybody gives. Everybody gives. I want to digress a bit. That's why sometimes some pastors who don't understand this, so let me help you for a pastor to know it. That's why I don't expect every church member to have the same level of commitment financially. I don't know where I get the point. Don't, make, don't think that man is a more serious Christian because he gives more than the other. You know, it happens in, as a pastor in the church. Say, this guy is just always there anytime we need money. He's a, first, he's a sign that he loves God. No, that's his calling. I'm not saying he doesn't love God. Though. I'm just saying that everybody has this grace. Each person has his own. Just like when you say, let us preach. Some pastors don't know. They will not give that man that gives a lot microphone. That lets him be able to, you know, because it shows he's a serious believer. His lack of understanding. Now, I'm not making excuses for those who don't want to give. Are you getting my point? I'm just trying to say that everybody has what? A grace. I started by saying everybody must be a giver. Alright? But then some people have a special calling in that area. So this man, I'm telling you the story, he was one of those people. That was his calling. Anytime God needs somebody to give money to somebody, he's the one God calls he wasn't fantastically rich, but he could give. He'd just be at home. Suddenly, just think of, ah, Chris, Chris. And you have this urge in him that Chris needs one new air conditioner and a new television. And he will get up. He won't call Chris. He will walk down to game, buy a new AC, buy a new TV, put in the boot of his car, drive to Chris's house and knock and say, it's in the boot. How did you know? I don't want to know. Just go and collect it. He's angry. you see why he's angry in a moment. He said, go and collect it. You will collect both of them, and he will angrily drive out of your driveway and go away. You didn't ask him for TV. You didn't ask him for AC. He was sitting in his house when suddenly the nudging of the Spirit said to him, Chris needs a new TV. He needs a new air conditioner. And the man obediently goes to buy it. Delivers it to you. He doesn't want your thank you. Because he will tell you straight, it was God that said I should buy this. And by the time he sees you, you've proven that he heard God, right? You know why he complains? I'll tell you. You say, now so God they do. That if I'm the one that needs now, nobody brings. <laughs> That's why he's complaining. He said, yes, anytime anybody needs something, assuming his name is John. John, go give this person. I go. John, but when I need something... I pray for nothing tomorrow. Nobody brings. That's how God does. It's all right. Collect your AC on your TV. Let me go buy my business. <laughs> he's angry. And the only difference part is always complaining. The person that told the story in the book I read said the guy is always complaining, always frowning, never has a smile on his face, but always obeys God. In that given area, he always obeys. 
For those of you who say, when you give, I will get back. I've told you, it's a fat lie. You know, I've told that thing before. If you need something from God, don't say, let me go and give so I can get. Even as I... This guy, with all the giving he was giving, he wasn't getting anything. Those he was giving to, <laughs> I don't know what they gave, what they did not give. Why was he not getting anything? That's where I'm going to. Because he had faith to obey divine call. He had discovered purpose. He had a ministry, a giving ministry, and he always obeyed God. His faith carried it. His faith was strong. But when he came for, for his own needs, he didn't have that faith. He was not provoking or activating promises. Even though he was a faithful giver, he was not a receiver. Why? Because if you want your needs met, Jesus taught us how, he taught us how to do it. Ask the Father in my name. The Father will give to you. You have not, James said, because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. It's clear. He said, be careful for nothing. But with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. All those things are in the scripture, but this man didn't activate it. But maybe somebody preached a word to him once. And explained to him that you were born for a purpose. There's a call of God upon your life. And he discovered his call and has been very faithful. You see something as I go on. That's why, don't compare people. I've seen very committed preachers. There's one brother I was talking to the other day. He was saying that he noticed that there are people who he admired, like maybe preachers ahead of him in his generations. They obeyed God, but he said their finances were not good. And he said in his life that he would break that thing. Now listen to this. So you find that you can't compare people. There's a man, this man edited a Bible. That's how serious he is. One day I was listening to him preach, and he said something about money. And I said that nobody ever preached the gospel of abundance to him. I don't know whether I get my point. There is something about the gospel of abundance you need to learn. There is a grace about that needs to flow into you. So that faith in that area can flow in that direction. Then the life of God goes in that area and produces results in your life. What are you doing? You are activating promises. Many committed men to God didn't activate those promises. So you think their poverty is a sign of their dedication. No, it's that they did not apply faith in that direction. Have you not read of people like um, C.H. Spurgeon plagued with gout and renal stones all their lives? Preaching with pain in their stomach. Thank God for their commitment. But was that pain the plan of God? No. It's not like that in my scriptures. No. Some of them start writing doctrine about pain. Doctrine about gout. How God uses to keep them humble. And many of us not realizing it. We don't know. And that's one of the things I want to teach as I'm going on. eh? Is to let you understand something. He said he gave gifts unto men. He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the edifying of the saints. Alright? Let me explain something to you. I will jumble many things up, alright? But I will clarify it later. You, you see this Bible? Toss me a paper Bible. Just throw it out. You can't throw. I can catch. See this Bible? So I can't do my own like that. It's electronic. So, you know, it's like some people, the man of God say, you can't use this kind of Bible that is not good, <laughs> that God doesn't like it, but God doesn't care. The original one he wrote, it was scrolls, and this, <laughs> the book of Isaiah alone, <laughs> I have to put it here. <laughs> All right, so, <laughs> the Bible, when Jesus wanted to read the Bible, eh, the Bible said, they delivered to him the book of Isaiah. That is... <laughs> Are you getting my point? It was delivery. They had to go and deliver to him. Just Isaiah. So they had to, they, he now rode it to the place. There was no vice, vice and He found the place by rolling up and down, rolling up and down. He finally located what you are now, now call Isaiah chapter, uh, was it 40? Wait, wait, wait. 61. Thank you very much. And so that's just by the way. All right. See this Bible, eh? 
volume-wise, it's a big book, but it's not very big. An average medical textbook that I use at work is bigger than this. Do you understand? It's a big book, but volume-wise, not very big. But depth-wise, Jesus, this thing is deep. We're talking about depth. Talking about depth. This Bible is deep. It's incredibly deep. Sometimes, I remember those, the one I first met somebody like Pastor Koji. He will read a portion of the Bible. I'll go and check what that's inside my Bible. And I've read that portion. <laughs> you, you get my point? <laughs> Was it you, Apostle, that said something one day? That's not when I finished preaching, you go ask him, now the same Bible will you read? <laughs> That's how the Bible is. There are things I say, like when I talked about, I never heard anybody else say it, when I talk about the curse on Ham. We were studying the book of Genesis here, when I got there. But just because for the first time in my life, I took a straight study from the beginning to that point, I saw the narration that it was targeted. Many people just think it's the book of the generations of the earth. No. It was the book of the heredity, or how do I say it? The ancestry of Abraham. The whole of Genesis was about Abraham. From creation down to everything you read, it's about Abraham. And everything Moses was trying to explain was how did Abraham get to this point? That's what he was doing. Are you getting what I'm going to say here? So this book is what? Deep! 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 It's so deep that if only some people say, I've heard, look, what I want to say, you hear it a lot and it sounds good, but it's actually wrong. Someone say, all you need in your life is a Bible. It's a lie. It's a lie. I'll tell you what I mean when I say it's a lie. Because the Bible itself says that's not all you need. What do I mean? Take our New Testament. Who wrote New Testament? Two groups of people. Only apostles and prophets. And if you read Kenneth Hagin, he would disc- apart from Kenneth Hagin, I've heard different men who did not read Kenneth Hagin give the same analysis. David Paulson gave the same analysis. About four or five different classes of apostles. Only the foundational apostles wrote the New Testament and prophets. The other apostles did not write it. Teachers did not write it. Pastors did not write it. Evangelists did not write. Yet the Bible says all these other people were also given to edify the saints. So if that's all you need for your edification, then those offices are unnecessary. Are you getting my point? I'm going somewhere. You will find out that the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip got to him and said, do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I Except somebody helps me. Believe me, you need help. I need help. God shares work in life differently. You know, when I first read Kenneth Hagin, I thought that before Kenneth Hagin, there were no healing preachers. He was my introduction to studying of the scriptures, all right, as a young believer, as a student on campus. So when he talked about how he was sick, he was born with a bad heart. He developed some illnesses, you know, to complicate everything as a teenager. And by the age of 16, he was given up to die in what was his deathbed. He finally got healed when he was at the age of 17. And nobody, he said, had taught him that he could get well. It took the Holy Spirit months of interacting with him to teach him the scriptures. It took the Holy Spirit a lot of time to show him Sometimes days will pass, he will be hardly conscious. Weeks will pass before he starts reading the Bible again. The Holy Spirit starts again. It was a surprise to me to find out that John Alexander Dowie lived long before that time. It was a surprise to me to find out that John G. Lake carried the anointing of people like John Alexander Dowie and I was operating in it. It was surprising for me to find out later that Maria Woodward Etta was healing the sick recklessly before that time. So how come he never encountered any one of them? How come God allowed him to suffer like that 
until as a young boy, 17, 18, he pulled himself up a sick bed by faith. And later on, God said to him, after he, you know, God gave him a word one day, and the Lord said to him, I have taught you faith from my word and from experience. Now, go teach my people faith. God didn't want him to die. But you know what happened? God said, if John Alexander Darwin ministers to this boy and he gets healed, he won't learn the faith I want him to learn. If John Gile came to him, he would have prayed for him, he would have gotten well. But he wouldn't learn the faith I want him to learn. So God kept those people away from him. He did not know they existed. He did not know a woman like Maria Woodward ever existed in that United States of America. He never knew. It was later when he got healed, he began to discover those other people existed. What am I going to say? There is a level of faith that God wants you to operate in. He said, you want to get Ken Hagen kind of faith? There's no problem. I will enjoy you like Ken Hagen. You will be on the... No, you will get it all. Do you like it like that? You say no. Say then buy his book. He said, buy his book. Listen to his messages. Listen, God gives each one of us as a sign and a wonder. One of my favorite examples from the scriptures is Solomon. Solomon, God said, don't make your life an experiment. You know what God said? I can let you waste your life. At the end of the day, I'll tell you that polygamy and womanizing is not good. But how many lives do you have? It will take me like 50 years to make that point to you. When are you going to preach, Banky? When at the age of 50, we are still trying to explain to you that womanizing and polygamy is not necessary. Are you getting my point? He said, why? Just buy the book of Ecclesiastes and read. And how many women do you want? That boy did a thousand. And by the time he was through, he said, it is vanity upon vanity. All is vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. He said, young man, what you are doing is that you are wasting your life. He now said, there is nothing better than to marry one woman in your youth and hold on to her tightly. I don't have to go through that experience. I just read Ecclesiastes. In the same manner, God took a man like Ken Higgin and said, see, this is faith. It took him weeks, months, and years, a whole childhood of pain for that young boy to get the point, to lay a foundation, and he began to build upon it. 